Welcome to the Living Worship Podcast. I'm Pastor Cameron Diamond. I hope you had a great uh, Thanksgiving last week. I know I sure did. I got to have Thanksgiving with uh, my in-laws. Um, always a good time to catch up with family. You get a little bit too much food. Um, but we're diving back into uh, our look at Judges, kind of surveying the whole of the book, breaking it down almost chapter by chapter. And the last several weeks we've been talking about Gideon. Um, and so Gideon starts out as this uh, timid person who um, grew up in a pagan home. Um, God speaks to him and he turns to God and um, obediently, if not timidly and hesitantly at first, um, follows the Lord and follows his directions. But then he takes things into his own hands and, and goes a step further. And he ends up becoming this bloodthirsty killer of Midianites and Israelites instead. And they ask him to become king, even. And so he accepts this kingship, and he um, plays the, the, the God card, really. And he says, well, it's not going to really be me as king. Whatever I say is going to be what the Lord says. Um, but he doesn't mean that sincerely. In fact, it's rather flippant. Um, he makes a ephod, uh, which is a priestly garment, out of gold, which... He was not a Levite. He was not supposed to have anything like this. This was actually against the commands of the Lord, so we know that. And then it says that they prostituted themselves before this ephod, which really just means they were worshiping this golden ephod as their idol, and they were worshiping Gideon, who who would have been wearing it um, as their idol. Um, and so he he really um, took a, a, a drastic left turn in his life, and, and he decided... Um, obedience to Yahweh really just meant obedience to himself and whatever he wanted. And so even though God used it to bring about peace in Israel, he did not end his life a very o obedient um, follower of Yahweh. Um, Gideon had many wives. He, it says that he had 70 sons. And he even had sons outside of his legal marriages, which that's a whole nother thing, right? But in particular, he had a son, um, illegitimately, whose name was Abimelech. And it says then, when Gideon died, no one remembered or honored what he did for them. And he led them away from the Lord. And so everyone went back to worshiping Baal. They went back to prostituting, literally prostituting themselves in the temples and the synagogues. And they went back to child sacrifices. Um, and it was some awful stuff that they chose to go back to. And I think a lot of it is because of the example they had in Gideon was not an authentic example of what it was like to worship Yahweh. They were really just worshiping a man. And that's, that's really sad. And, we're, and so we're going to pick things up in Judges chapter 9. We're going to look at the first six verses and then we're going to keep going. It's kind of a long chapter. Um, so I'm going to paraphrase a good bit of it, but but feel free to follow along with me and pause and, and read the scriptures. Um, I want to stay true to what it's actually saying. I just don't want I don't want this to be an hour long podcast. It it's not meant to be that. All right. So Judges chapter nine verse one says, Abimelech son of Jeroboam went to Shechem and spoke to his uncles and to his mother's whole clan saying, Please speak in the hearing of all the citizens of Shechem. Is it better for you that seventy men, all the sons of Jeroboam, rule over you, or that one man rule over you? Remember that I am your own flesh and blood. 
His mother's relatives spoke all these words about him in the hearing of all the citizens of Shechem, and they were favorable to Abimelech, for they said, He is our brother. So they gave him seventy pieces of silver from the temple of Baal-Berith. Abimelech used it to hire worthless and reckless men, and they followed him. He went to his father's house in Ophrah and killed his seventy brothers, the sons of Jeroboam, on top of a large stone. But Jotham, the youngest son of Jeroboam, survived because he hid. Then all the citizens of Shechem and of Beth Milo gathered together and proceeded to make Abimelech king at the oak of the pillar in Shechem. So Abimelech, he, he uses the art of rumor. And he gets his family to start talking him up to the village. And the village decides, hey, he'd be a good ruler. And so they pay him one piece of silver for each of his brothers. And he uses this money to hire hitmen to help him kill his brothers. And not just murder, but it's ritual sacrifice on top, on top of this stone. This is some pretty evil stuff. And then Jotham. Abimelech's youngest brother. Remember, these are his brothers. And we don't know what the growing up situation was necessarily like, but they were brothers. They, they, they were family, and not distant family. And so Jotham, his youngest brother, survives because he hides. He survives the massacre, and the people of Shechem make him king. There is a lot of evil to go around. Well, Jotham... He prays this prayer to the Lord. And he prays to God that justice would have its way. And that Abimelech and the people of Shechem would pay for the evil that they caused. And God hears Jotham's prayer. And as we'll see, justice is served in the best way. Um, and it's not pretty. Um, but God does not let this go. All right, so Judges 9, verses 22 through 41. So here's what's going on before we pick it up in verse 42. So in three years, Abimelech has been king. And God has caused there to be a lot of dysfunction and disunity, right? This massacre was not a good place to build a kingdom on in the first place. But God, without his blessing, it falls into disarray. And so God is using this disunity to work it out so that Shechem, the city, and Abimelech would both be punished for the massacre. And so this guy from another village, he comes, his name's Gaul, and he tries to fight Abimelech. But Gaul is betrayed by um, the, we'll say the mayor of sorts of Shechem. And he is defeated in this in Gaul, he, he had good intentions. He was, he was trying to overthrow someone who was not righteous. And he thought that um, the people of Shechem would probably support him because there was disunity, because Abimelech was a pretty evil individual. Well, Abimelech, being the paranoid individual that he is, immediately assumes that the people of Shechem had hired Gaul to come take him out. And that's where we're going to pick it up in verse 42. So the people of Shechem go to investigate the battle. Verse 42 says, The next day, when the people of Shechem went into the countryside, this was reported to Abimelech. He took the troops, he divided them into three companies, and waited in ambush in the countryside. 
He looked, and the people were coming out of the city, so he arose against them and struck them down. Then Abimelech and the units that were with him rushed forward and took their stand at the entrance of the city gate. The other two units rushed against all who were in the countryside and struck them down. So Abimelech fought against the city that entire day, captured it, and killed the people who were in it. Then he tore down the city and sowed it with salt. When all the citizens of the Tower of Shechem heard, they entered the inner chamber of the Temple of Erbareth. And then it was reported to Abimelech that all the citizens of the Tower of Shechem had gathered together. So Abimelech and all the troops who were with him went up to Mount Zalman. Abimelech took his axe in hand and cut a branch from the trees. He picked up the branch, put it on his shoulder, and said to the troops who were with him, Hurry and do what you have seen me do. Each of the troops also cut down his own branch and followed Abimelech. They put the branches against the inner chamber and set it on fire. About a thousand men and women died, including all the men of the Tower of Shechem. So he destroys the city, lays it to waste, burns it, sows it with salt so that nothing can grow there again. And then he goes to the watchtower where every, all the refugees who have so far survived go. And then he he burns them out, right? He, he stacks wood at the bottom of it, lights it on fire, and they all die. They all burn to death. Verse 50, Abimelech went to Thebes, camped against it, and captured it. And there was a strong tower inside the city. And all the men, women, and citizens of the city fled there. They locked themselves in and went up to the roof of the tower. When Abimelech came to attack the tower, he approached its entrance to set it on fire. But a woman threw the upper portion of a millstone on Abimelech's head and fractured his skull. He quickly called his armor-bearer and said to him, Draw your sword and kill me, or they'll say about me a woman killed him. So his armor-bearer ran him through, and he died. When the Israelites saw that Abimelech was dead, they all went home. And in this way, God brought back Abimelech's evil, the evil that Abimelech had done to his father when he killed his 70 brothers. God also brought back to the men of Shechem all of their evil. And so the curse of Jotham, son of Jeroboam, came upon them. So Abimelech, he's, he's, he's so power thirsty and he's so paranoid, he kills off his own subjects. He destroys the city that he's ruling over and the only structures remaining with some watchtowers with refugees and he tries to burn them all up. He succeeds with one and the other one he goes to put wood on it. And a woman throws this millstone out of the window and breaks his skull open. He's begging for his life and his armor bearer puts him out of his misery. So that no one would ever say that a woman killed him. You know, the ironic thing here is that we know that a woman killed him. Right? It didn't actually help, it did it. But God used these nasty circumstances to bring timely vengeance. On all of the people that helped Abimelech kill his brothers. Understand that the people that Abimelech killed were not innocent, just as he was not innocent. And we can look at the things that, that he did to them and say, wow, that was awful, that was so evil. Yes, it was. But they were also a part of a massive evil and God could not let that stand. And yes, we will all be judged at the end of time for the things that we will do. But there are some things that God is going to bring about punishment and justice uh, quickly. And of course, quickly for God is even then not so 
quick for us sometimes. Three years can feel like a long time to wait for justice. Sometimes we don't see justice brought to bear against evil people while we are still alive. Sometimes justice isn't properly going to be dealt with till the end of time, and it's really not for us to decide when and where is appropriate um, for justice to be done. It's, it's for God to determine. Right? And that's what we're going to get into a little bit as we talk about what this means and what it means for us. Right? So number one, you know, God can't let sin go on forever. He has to punish sin. So there are immediate and there are eternal consequences. And so we have to determine you know, uh, for ourselves that we're going to let God handle the consequences of sin. Now, uh, there are appropriate ways for society to handle um, laws, the making of laws and the enforcement of laws, and, and each society has to figure that out for themselves. Um, this lesson so much isn't about that, other than the fact that in Romans, the Apostle Paul tells us that God gave us the government to enact justice upon the guilty. And so the Bible can give us a moral law that we ought to follow. And government's job is to um, enforce moral law and to provide laws for the protection and safety of its citizens. Um, and that is, that is a much deeper, much broader um, discussion than what I intend to have here on the podcast today. But it is there and it's worth thinking about. Um, two, God uses the actions of everyday people to supernaturally handle immediate punishment, right? And so it's not God reaching down and just flicking them with his divine fingers. It's him working through righteous and unrighteous people, saved and unsaved people, to bring about proper vengeance for the things that they are responsible for. And he gets to determine what's appropriate and what is not. And even then, right, we are all responsible for our own actions. Again, that's that can be a much deeper discussion for sure. But understand that that is the truth. And number two, even if you don't see immediate punishment um, for sin on behalf of someone else who is committing evil, or even for yourself, right? Understand that the eternal consequences of your sin are far worse than any immediate punishment that God can do. Um, in, in some ways, you know, this immediate punishment is kind of a mercy um, because it, it, it's depending on what you believe about the end times and how the judgment day works, I mean, it, it's a putting off of, of God's divine justice and, and punishment for sin um, if there is no immediate punishment. But the eternal consequences, and eternal is like forever, right? Infinity are far worse, far worse. So the best thing you can do, avoid the sin, uh, you know, get saved through Jesus, get pardoned for that sin, um, and choose not to face it and choose to live life God's way. That's always the best way. And three, um, something to think about. All right, Suicide and assisted suicide are not painted favorably um, within this text and within the Bible at large. Uh, and again, that's a very, very big uh, subject. It's a touchy subject with some people. But I do encourage you, don't accept what anyone else has to say about these topics, you need to go into the Bible and find the text for yourself and really study it. Uh, because these are some hot button issues 
um, within our culture. And I, I can tell you what I, what I believe and what I think as I study the word, and it's that uh, definitely suicide is not um, allowed by God, right? That is, that is a murdering of yourself. And I believe the same about assisted suicide, personally. I, I see it as, um, yes, it's, it's murder that um, the, the person wants, right? The person wants to be murdered, but in, in God's eyes and the way that it's painted in the Bible, um, God still does not honor it. Um, uh, he should be the arbiter of, of life and death. And, and when we don't follow that, uh, we are playing God. And I think that's a, it's a dangerous line to cross personally. Um, the more I study the word, the more um, I see that to be true. But I do encourage you, go study that. Go look at that stuff for yourself. Go talk to spiritual people in your life and get a firm grasp on it. And don't just accept answers that make you feel good. Um, that um, Don't accept answers that just affirm what you already think. Look at all sides. Um, you know, we should be working out our faith and our salvation with fear and with trembling. We should be ready to um, defend the, the gospel in any and every circumstance. And that means knowing um, what the Bible actually says and not just what you personally think ought to be. I mean, oftentimes the Bible is contrary um, to what we think ought to be. All right, and so then what does any of this have to do with us? This is where we're going to end it today. Number one, God's ways are much higher and more powerful than our own ways. So we can trust that any atrocities that we witness that happen during our lifetime, they're going to be handled efficiently by Him. Our job is to pray for justice instead of becoming spiritual or physical vigilantes, right? Nobody out there become Batman, okay? All right, pray for justice, right? If, if someone sinned against you, uh, pray for a spirit even of forgiveness, and that's really hard, um, but that's the attitude that Jesus told us that we need to adopt. And number two, uh, the Bible speaks badly of people, right, or at least not great of people who uh, have committed suicide or, or asked to be killed by someone else. So outside of some exceptions, right, and as you look at the Bible, we can see the death penalty for criminals, the Bible Definitely says that that's a thing, right? Um, outside of defending your family within a home invasion, right? You can go see that that's um, accepted in specific circumstances throughout the Bible. Um, besides uh, just war theory, so some wars um, uh, are condoned by God, and, and I encourage you, go look up just war theory. That's fascinating, at least it is for me, and it's a pretty deep subject. These are all things that we should know about. Other than those fringe cases, okay, the time and date of death is to be handled by God alone. Preventative care to provide health and prolong life is, is different, right? God has given us the ability and the knowledge to do that. Um, but no one has ever made a reasonable biblical argument uh, against healing medicine, and they never will. And I don't. I have never seen a reasonable biblical argument for assisted suicide or suicide. Um, and if you disagree with me, I want to know about it. Uh, if you would respectfully email me at Cameron at Jonesville Baptist dot com. Yeah, I'd love to talk about it. Love to to pick your brain. 
Um, these are the kinds of things where iron does sharpen iron. And if we can be respectful and reasonable about the way that we discuss things, we can all grow from it. And then number three, when we make ourselves God, as Gideon did, we ruin the lives of people around us, possibly for generations. See, Gideon in his lifetime warped the worship of Yahweh into a worship of himself. And at that point, people knew it wasn't real. And so they just went back to worshiping what made them feel good, which was Baal. Don't be like Gideon. Don't let your life turn out how his did. But it ended up just being all about him. Instead, make it all about Yahweh, the Lord. Make it all about Jesus. And refuse to be disobedient. Even when it's hard, especially when it's hard. If it was easy, right, everybody would do it. But it's not easy because following Jesus is contrary to our nature. But because of the Holy Spirit, those who believe and who are saved have the power to live a life as God intended us to live from the first. You will be justified. You will be sanctified. And you will be growing towards him every step of the way. I appreciate you. I'm glad that you're listening. If you stuck with me this long, um, and I will talk to you very soon. We're going to be talking about Jephthah next week, a man who made a vow to God uh, that uh, I'm not so sure God was pleased with. Um, you'll decide for yourself. That's going to be Judges chapter 11. All right. See you then. Bye. Yeah.